Terry McAuliffe, the candidate for governor of Virginia, gets completely bent out of shape when they don't ask the right cushy questions like all Democrats typically get. Glenn Youngkin gets surveilled by the Lincoln Project, which is the Never Trump NAMBLA group, and they can't even do it right. We also get to know Jason Meares, who is running as attorney general against the other elected blackface, Mark Herring. It's the Six Semper Tyrannus podcast. Virginia. <laughs> so election day is coming up really quick. November 2nd here in the Commonwealth or the communist wealth as it is right now, as it's still under siege by Northern Virginia and all the liberals. But I think that nut is cracking, particularly in Loudoun County. And we'll get into Loudoun County's insanity in just a moment. But Right now, Glenn Youngkin seems to have some propulsion behind his campaign, as far as I can tell. Uh, he's got rallies, packed rallies. Terry McAuliffe, he's got like coffee clutches or political AA meetings happening. There's like eight or nine people there. So Glenn Youngkin is out on the stump, and he's doing really well on his own. Now, Terry McAuliffe, he needs some help. He's got Grape Ape down there from Georgia who thinks she's elected uh, governor, and that would be... Uh, Stacey Abrams, you know, the, the fixer for the left. Now, of course, I'm not calling her an ape for the reasons that somebody will take. I, I think she just looks like Harambe, the statue of Harambe in Wall Street, or like Megilla Gorilla. But, you know, that's Stacey Abrams, everybody's favorite candidate for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why she has so much clout with the Democrat Party and the electoral machine, that, you know, the, stole, the stealing of elections that goes on throughout the country, even though she had hers stolen by her claims, which we know she lost legitimately. Um, she was campaigning for Terry McAuliffe, also camping for, uh, campaigning for Terry McAuliffe, Barack Obama, and our dementia leader-in-chief, uh, Corn Pop, you know, Joseph Biden, Robinette Biden. Um, yeah, he's campaigning, too, for Terry McAuliffe. So it's kind of funny the Lincoln Project, consistent of like Rick Wilson, Stephen Hayes, all these never Trumpers that are actually Democrat grifter, uh, they're, they're grifters paid by the Democrat Party and paid by the country of Cutter, too. <laughs> so they try to get their Project Veritas on and bust Glenn Youngkin by getting him on hidden camera that he might not want Trump to come stump for him. And really, when you listen to it, it's kind of a fail because he really isn't saying that, but that's the way they're portraying it. Virginia, look at your state, on behalf of 
I mean, he's just saying that he doesn't need him to come there and he doesn't have to do it because he's wanting to run for governor of Virginia. I mean, he doesn't need somebody from Georgia like Stacey Abrams to stump for him. He doesn't need a former president like Barack Obama to stump for him because his campaign is doing fine. So they decided to follow it up with this horrible ad. This is like the political electile dysfunction lemon of an ad right here. This is really bad, but this is how they wanted to portray an attack ad on Glenn Youngkin. Donald, why are you so scared to go to Virginia? Is it because you know Glenn Youngkin wants nothing to do with you? Or is it because your loser stench rubs off on everyone you touch? President Obama is showing up. President Biden is showing up. And Dr. Biden is showing up. Stacey Abrams is showing up. If you aren't too weak or scared or washed up, you would get to Virginia fast. But you won't. Instead, you're just phoning it in like a coward. Midas Touch is responsible for the content of this advertisement. This ad was the most juvenile ad I've ever heard. I, I'm not sure it's moving any needles either way. I mean, do you really think somebody's watching this and going, yeah, I'm not going to vote for Yunkin because Trump, he doesn't like Trump, and he's not going to have Trump come. And uh, it's, it's ridiculous. And really, to be honest, McAuliffe, that's all he's done is run against Trump. <laughs> and they want to talk about it. It's... That thing was like Gretchen from Mean Girls as the marketing consultant to Terry McAuliffe. I mean, it's just a horrible ad. But it's followed up by a horrible campaign from Terry McAuliffe while he's out there line dancing and trying to get his grill on. I mean, the videos he posts of him dancing at these like half-empty clubs, it's very cringeworthy to say the least. But... Yeah, he's got Barack Obama, he's got Stacey Abrams, he's got all these people coming in to do his stumping. And you really have to think, um, following the money is the greatest form of truth and the greatest form of research because you can find out people's true motivations when you find out where they spend their money. And this is kind of interesting. From Axios, McAuliffe is dominating fundraising but Yunkin is dominating fundraising in Virginia. <laughs> Unbelievable. A majority, 59% of Yunkin's cash donations are from within Virginia, while a majority, 64% of McAuliffe's, are from outside the state. So, yeah, of course, any uh, candidate, that is going to be supported by the Democrat machine because they don't mind pissing their money away. You know, Soros can dump tons of money onto the Loudoun County prosecutor's race. And that person's in play, even though they only won by 1% that they don't care. Their, their ideology, their end game supersedes the financial risk and reward. They don't care about, what they get in return for their money is as long as they put enough money to make something happen and they don't care. They will dump money overboard. They will just dump it into the, into the ocean. And here they're dumping it into the Atlantic ocean to try to get McAuliffe over the edge. But yet Yunkin is pulling Virginians money from Axios. Democrat Terry McAuliffe may be trouncing Glenn Youngin 
in the uh, in the fundraising. But when it comes to dollars from donors in Virginia, the state where they're battling to become governor, the Republican has the edge. With tight polls between the two gubernatorial candidates less than two weeks before Election Day, the parties are also looking to fundraising as a predictor of success. Um, I don't know about you. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. If the majority of people in the state are donating for one candidate and all the people from out of the state, because, you know, Biden's got to have this win. The Democrats have to have this win. If Virginia goes down, because there is no midterm elections, there's Virginia and there's an election in New Jersey. And if Virginia goes down, that's going to be kind of like a bellwether to let them know, oh, all this overreach, all this crap that we've been doing, all this, you know, anti-American BS that we've engaged in since we installed as president, um, people are rejecting it. And when you look at the fact that the people within the state are giving the money to the Republican governor candidate uh, or gubernatorial candidate, I would think that's a good indication that that's the way they're going to vote too. Okay. But you know, Yunkin, he, he's a good choice. He's not bad. I mean, I don't want to bag on the guy because I support him. I want him to win, to be honest. I mean, he's not who Terry McAuliffe ran against the last time, which was Ken Cuccinelli. See, Dirty little secret was Ken Cuccinelli got zero support from the GOP and he was running for governor against Terry McAuliffe. Now, Ken Cuccinelli's support coalesced and grew once he started talking about immigration. Huh? Build the wall much? Did that build the wall? Huh? Yeah. So, and Ken Cuccinelli became the deputy homeland security director under Trump. So, even though Ken Cuccinelli and Mike Lee were the ones who stepped in to rewrite the party platform at the convention when Trump was nominated, when Ted Cruz gave his speech, Vote Your Conscience, and uh, Ken Cuccinelli and Mike Lee were on board with Ted Cruz, let's leave that behind. What I'm getting at is Ken Cuccinelli was the most conservative candidate we had, even more so than Bob McDonald, which I know Bob McDonald, he's a great guy, and he's very conservative. Um, Ken Cuccinelli was more like myself and he was being edged out because the GOP didn't want to back him because they're a bunch of freaking rhinos. But at the end of the day, his support grew because his stances were solid. And we're seeing that with Glenn Youngkin, his stances on school choice or school curriculum because of the Loudoun County thing. This isn't just in Loudoun County. This is happening throughout the Commonwealth. It's happening down here in Virginia Beach. It happened in Chesapeake, and Chesapeake rejected it. The fact that Chesapeake is leading the way for the first time against Virginia Beach, which Virginia Beach always led the way, and Chesapeake kind of was like, oh, yeah, they're doing it, so we'll, we'll, we'll do it too. That's not happening. Chesapeake is leading the way on many things, transgender bathrooms, critical race theory, whatever the case may be, COVID mask, um, COVID lockdowns, school openings. But Ken Cuccinelli was the conservative choice. Glenn Youngkin, he's not, he's not bad. He's pro-business. He's a good conservative or a good Republican. He's got good conservative leanings. I don't know enough about him to make me think that he's on, you know, the team that is completely extinct 
completely removed from Rhino land, but I don't, I don't get the Rhino vibe from him. But Terry McAuliffe, on the other hand, that guy will destroy this state. <laughs> He's already destroyed it a little bit when he was governor, but I think there's another push going on on a national level to level these different, you know, states and and get them in line. If they could take Texas, they would do it. And what I think is interesting is this is going to be the real mandate. See, the Biden election was questionable. You can't tell me that they're going to sit there and send no, send home people who are counting the votes. That's like sending home the tax preparers and the CPAs on April 14th. That's like sending home Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. You don't send home the people counting the votes on election night. You don't allow them to cover up the windows with cardboard while people count recount the votes. I mean, and you don't allow mail-in ballots to just get dumped into a box and sent in. But that's what we're doing. And what's interesting is they're still trying to do that in Virginia, and we have a nonprofit. I'm going to get into this in a minute. A nonprofit organization who is uh, really taking taking charge of scrutinizing the absentee ballots, but at the end of the day, McAuliffe is not running a good campaign, and yet Yunkin is, and Yunkin's seeing dividends locally and in the on a statewide level. But you know, just like the ad says, they're going to go out there and talk about how. They have all their good buddies from, you know, Obama, Biden, Stacey Abrams. They're all showing up and, you know, they're lamenting that Trump isn't showing up for Yunkin so that they can run against Trump because ultimately that's all McAuliffe has done is run against Trump. Well, there's one donor that showed up that hasn't been talked about to help Terry McAuliffe. Check this out. UK Daily Mail revealed Virginia's Democrat governor candidate. Terry McAuliffe received $200,000 in donations from a private equity billionaire, Ron Burkle, who owns a private jet known as the F-Jet. I don't want to say what it really means. It's also called Air F-1. Now, here's the interesting part of this whole thing. And this is what you have to realize. We've been dealing with this kind of mentality since the Clinton administration in the 90s. This needs to be rejected. Now, Bill Clinton and Terry McAuliffe, good buds. Terry McAuliffe was a very good friend of his, and that's why I pushed back against him running the first time. But it's really interesting when you read this article. A billionaire associate of Jeffrey Epstein, the guy who was procuring underage women for sex with powerful people, Bill Clinton is supposedly on the Lolita Express airplane banging out underage chicks on the airplane in the back room. And then they were at the island, the Epstein Island, which I'm sure was just a friggin' playground for these hedonist bastards. And then Governor Bill Richardson from New Mexico had his own little compound. And within his compound was another compound. Jeffrey Epstein's. 
You had to fly a freaking helicopter in just to land because there was no way in or out by design. And guess who was at that? Oh, yeah, Hillary and Bill, Bill Clinton, both at that. But so this guy was an associate of Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Clinton's whose private jet was nicknamed the F-Jet or Air F-1. He donated 200000 to Terry McAuliffe's campaign to become the Democratic governor of Virginia. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this stuff up. What is going on with the pedophiles and the airplanes and they're rich and they're loaded? You got to remember the Clinton Foundation, which Jeffrey Epstein helped create. You know, he's got that photo, that portrait of Bill Clinton in a blue dress, Monica Lewinsky's blue dress. By the way, if you're watching the impeachment story, it's pretty good on FX, um, pretty true to form. I was thinking they were going to retcon history and try to give Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky a new shine, but it's really detailed. I mean, I didn't know Monica Lewinsky was hanging out with Jake Tapper. Um, but at the same time, they get into all of the all of the players. They're all there. Outside of Kenneth, Kenneth Starr, you get Brett Kavanaugh, you get Dick Morris, you get uh, uh, Sidney Blumenthal. You, I mean, down the line, it's pretty pretty well done. But... The fact that this guy who had the Monica Lewinsky blue dress on Bill Clinton as a portrait hanging up in his New York mansion, <laughs> along with the uh, George W. Bush knocking down the World Trade Center towers like they were uh, you know, building blocks, um, that portrait as well. This guy was hanging out with the other guy who just gave $200,000 to Terry McAuliffe. High-profile Democrats have descended on Virginia during the past month trying to shore up his narrow lead over former business executive Glenn Youngkin in a state that Joe Biden won by 10%, 10 percentage points a year ago. He did not win Virginia by that much, guys. I'm sorry. There was a lot of shady stuff going on, and that's what this nonprofit is looking to fix on the absentee ballot side. Loudoun County was flipping for Trump. Loudoun County, what we're dealing with now, was already flipping for Trump. Loudoun County. That's, if you want to know where Loudoun County is, it's up there, Warrington. Uh, you've got all these different areas outside of D.C. You know, uh, Culpeper, you've got uh, Arlington, Fairfax. They all, because of the spillover from D.C., they all vote. Democrat, because it's basically people that work for big government are living in Virginia. When those parents get pissed and they reject what's going on, that's a big deal. So going back to this story in the UK Daily Mail about the uh, guy with his F jet, the 68 year old made his money buying and selling supermarket chains. Cash that saw him become a major Democratic fundraiser and a tabloid star for his luxury bedroom-equipped 757 that ferried Clinton around the world. <laughs> Unbelievable. That is... I mean, it's exactly what Jeffrey Epstein was doing. Except Jeffrey Epstein was getting busted all the time, 
put it into a jail in Florida, which they made him like the drunk on Andy Griffith. They basically just gave him the keys and said, yeah, you know, when you're ready to go out, you can go to work, come back, just make sure you step back in and go back to jail for the evening <laughs> while he's banging out underage girls. This is how ridiculous this is. And it's also telling on how, how you know, insidious the Democrat Party is and how they need to be defeated in Virginia. We have to defeat Terry McAuliffe to send a message to Biden, to send a message to the news media, and to keep Virginia from adopting critical race theory, adopting uh, transgenderism as you know something that your five-year-old can request puberty blockers and be given without your consent. Whatever the case may be, it needs to be rejected. It's a hill to die upon. It's also a reason why we need to look into voter election integrity here in the Commonwealth. From Breitbart, the Public Interest Legal Foundation filed a lawsuit on behalf of the Virginia Public Policy Institute on Wednesday alleging illegal absentee ballot procedures in Fairfax County, Virginia in the 2020 general election. The move comes less than two weeks before Election Day in the highly contentious gubernatorial race between former Governor Terry McAuliffe and Republican nominee Glenn Youngkin. PILF's aggressive action to address issues of election integrity in advance of the 2021 Virginia gubernatorial election in the preemptive legal strike represents a marked contrast to the after-the-fact election integrity challenges made in November 2020 general election across the country by Republican organizations and conservative nonprofits. Fairfax County is not following the rules for absentee ballots, the PILF president uh, J. Christian Adams said in a statement. Um, so we have a nonprofit out there that's actually looking to go after the integrity of the vote in Virginia. Quote, these rules exist to protect the right to vote and must always be followed to ensure free and fair elections. Virginians deserve gubernatorial elections that follow the rule of law, Adams added. The PILF, uh, quote, filed a complaint and motion for an injunction against Fairfax County's general register and three members of the Fairfax County Election Board for violating Virginia election law in a statement. The statement said, the case is brought on behalf of the Virginia Institute for Public Policy, a local organization that promotes election integrity. The lawsuit explains that Fairfax County is violating Virginia law by accepting and approving applications for absentee and mail-in ballots that do not include the last four digits of an applicant's social security number as required under Virginia statutes. The requirement to provide the last four digits of the, of the social protects the right to vote. It ensures that nobody loses their right to, be, to vote because of a ballot that has been sent to someone else. Fairfax County is not only violating Virginia law, but also the Virginia Constitution. The Constitution's anti-suspension clause requires that laws passed by Virginia's legislature are supreme to any act and a local government employee or even a governor himself. This is important because it restrains the election officials in Virginia from disregarding and replacing election administration laws. PILF asked Fairfax County Court to preliminarily and permanently enjoin the defendants from continuing to violate the Constitution of Virginia, Virginia statutes, 
and any other relevant authorities with respect to absentee and mail-in applicants and ballots. Sending absentee and mail-in ballots to any applicant who did not follow Virginia law and include the last four digits of his or her social security number on the application. Approving additional absentee and mail-in ballot applications that do not comply with the Virginia law and include the last four digits of the applicant's social security number and from enrolling applicants who submit such applications. Recent polls indicate that the race is too close to call, but I don't know. Here in the Commonwealth, I have a feeling that Yunkin is going to do a little bit better than people expect, especially with all the money he's getting from within Virginia while Terry McAuliffe is having to carpet bag his way into the Commonwealth as he did the first time around. Now, there's another individual that we need to touch on because the attorney general's race is really important, especially because of the Soros, uh, the Soros strategy of flipping these attorney general races, these prosecutorial races, uh, law enforcement races in general, sheriff or what have you, to enact lawlessness in all of these different states. That's why you're seeing Black Lives Matter protests come out and get totally ignored, the violence disregarded, but yet you see somebody like Kyle Rittenhouse, who was deputized. <laughs> he, he was actually deputized right ahead of the riots by the police force. And then just because he used his gun to defend himself, he's been dealing with a crazy legal battle when it should be pretty cut and dry, self-defense, uh, Second Amendment rights. So let's listen to the uh, current attorney general, uh, Mark Herring's challenger, Jason Mieres, going up against the other blackface. We don't talk a lot about his blackface, but he, uh, he was busted in an old picture, too, where he was dressed up for I don't even know why. But, he, but Mark Herring is a progressive. He's a, a slight communist. He's, he's horrible, and he needs to be removed. And Jason Mieres... He gets it. And I was listening to a few interviews on local radio, uh, heard him for the first time, sat down, gave him the benefit of the doubt, said, I'm going to listen to this guy and see if he's worth backing because is he a rhino? Is he somebody that's just trying to grift his way into uh, Virginia politics? But after I listened to him, I'm like, this guy gets it. And he's also Cuban-American. So he's got an ethnicity that... Uh, I don't know, has a foothold in totalitarianism. But let's listen to a little bit of Jason Mieres. By the Republican Party candidate for attorney general, Delegate Jason Mieres, who is currently a delegate in the legislature. Delegate, thanks for coming in. It's a joy to be here. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. So tell us, what is this election about? Listen, I think this election is about which party, which candidate do you trust to keep you safe? We're seeing skyrocketing uh, crime rates in Virginia. Our murder rates the highest it's been. And overall over, crime is uh, down, but, but murder right, rates, violent, the crime, rates violent crime is up and the murder rates the highest it's been in over two decades. And so I was a prosecutor in Virginia Beach, served now in the General Assembly. And what we've seen right now is people realize there's no check and balance in Richmond. You have one party rule that's pushed a lot of policies that, in my opinion, are criminal first, victim last. And so voters are upset, Virginians are upset, and then you have this parole board that has broken the law in some cases to let out violent killers, murderers, rapists, and cop killers out, sometimes with decades on their sentence, 
back on our streets and sometimes they're committing more violent crime. There's been no accountability in the parole board and that's part of why I'm running. And when you say breaking the law, you mean not notifying the victims' families uh, and extended uh, victims' families? In, Correct. In we, of we, were just, uh, we were just uh, this morning uh, with a, a family member, uh, Bessie Roundtree, who is a uh, grandmother in Suffolk, Virginia. She was the victim of a horrific uh, home invasion, rape and murder by Patrick Schooley. Uh, Patrick Schooley was given multiple life sentences without the possibility of parole, and uh, he's back on the streets right now uh, talking to his family members. They found out from the news. Uh, we were in Lynchburg as well and heard from the Commonwealth attorneys and some victims there. And so that's not just opinion. That's, that's the law. The victims have to be notified. The prosecuting attorney has to be notified. And when uh, previous governors like George Allen and Jim Gilmore were governor, uh, they put victims on the parole board. So they'd have the voice of the victim would not be silenced. Well, unfortunately, right now, you have policies that uh, people on the parole board letting these people out. And you've had five former attorney generals, five former attorney generals that have said that this attorney general, Mark Herring, didn't do his job. He's the, he advises the parole board. He advises every single state agency. And when an attorney general finds that any state agency, whether it's the parole board or pick, pick whoever it is, if they find out they're not following the law, your job is to, if need be, take them to court to force them to follow the law. They failed to do so. And we know from the inspector general's report, the parole board violated the law to let some of these individuals out, sometimes with tragic consequences. Sounds pretty good. He's good on crime. Let's check out what Jason Mirez has to say when he was on the floor of the House of Delegates as a delegate talking about the SB, uh, I think it was 1150, 1156, something like that, which was a proposed bill for sanctuary cities status and whether or not we would regulate federal immigration regulations. And he kind of just puts it all down. Remember, he's got Cuban, uh, Cuban heritage within his American upbringing, so... He's got, you know, experience with totalitarianism from the uh, from the Castro regime, or at least his family does. Check this out. Mr. Speaker, speak to the bill. Dog ass floor. I've not spoken up on much legislation, uh, but I felt the compelled need to speak on this, partially because when I hear terms like dog whistle politics, it affects me greatly. My favorite thing to do as a delegate, Mr. Speaker, Several times a year, I go to the federal courthouse in Norfolk and I speak to a naturalization ceremony. And I tell these folks that it is the greatest honor of my life to be the first to welcome them into our American family. My earliest childhood memory, my earliest childhood memory was as a child seeing my mother take that oath of allegiance. And that is a, an incredibly powerful moment. For those that don't know, when you stand in that courthouse and you say these words, I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have hereto been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. I have stood in that courthouse several times 
And it is one of the most profound moments to see these new members of the new American family. It's the last thing they do. How moving and how powerful it is. And I have seen U.S. attorneys remove people from that body who will not recite that oath. It is a, an incredibly powerful moment. We allow, as a country, a million legal immigrants a year. One million. There is not a country on this planet that allows that number of illegal immigrants a year. We are a nation of second chances. That's part of who we are. And I am a firm believer in being that second chance, but I also am a firm believer in being a nation of laws and not men. And I have to take, say that when I hear terms like dog whistle politics, when this simply is telling localities not to impede the federal government from obeying the law, that to me is astonishing. As somebody who is a child of an immigrant, who every chance I get goes to speak at a naturalization ceremony, I have to say, I completely reject that characterization of this bill, and it's a pleasure of the House to pass the measure. Having an attorney general like Jason Mirez is going to be very essential when it gets into situations like what happened in Loudoun County. And apparently at the rally for Glenn Youngkin, they've already announced that they will be investigating what happened in Loudoun County. So what exactly did happen in Loudoun County in their school district with their school board members? You've probably heard some of this on other shows but I kind of want to dig in a little bit just to give you perspective of what we're dealing with and why it is helping Glenn Youngkin's campaign elevate to another level. Quick programming note. We're actually hosting this on my Adrian Slade show podcast platform, but eventually we're going to move this to its own six separate Tyrannus podcast platform. And you'll want to follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google play, wherever it gets posted on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure to subscribe so that you'll get the updates when we do release these new podcasts specifically for Virginia politics. Okay, so this story was actually broken by The Daily Wire's Luke Rosiak. Now, Luke Rosiak, awesome, awesome journalist. This guy, he's the one who broke open the Awan brothers. Remember, they are the Pakistani IT Democrat Committee IT techs that didn't have any IT experience, but then they're out there selling used cars on the side. Um, kind of odd. You know what's odd, too, is there was a ring of money laundering that happened through used car lots that were funneling money to the Middle East, and then that money was going to terrorist organizations like Hezbollah and Hamas. But let's not get into all that. Let's talk about what Luke Rosiak uncovered with Loudoun County. So Luke Rosiak said, as Loudoun County schools sought to pass a controversial transgender policy in June, it concealed that a ninth grade girl was allegedly raped by a, quote, gender fluid student in a school bathroom just three weeks prior. He goes on to say, in June, the Loudoun County uh, Public Schools lectured the public for worrying about a red herring, saying that the district had zero bathroom assaults on record. It quietly transferred the boy charged with the 20, uh, May 28th assault, to a new school. On October 6th, he was arrested for a new sexual assault inside a classroom there. The father of the victim is a man you've seen. The bald man being dragged by the police. The county's top elected prosecutor personally tried to put him in jail. <laughs> he, 
he was issued a no trespassing order, keeping him from telling the story at a meeting where the trans policy passed. Now, that could have changed the whole game, couldn't it? The National School Board Association included Scott Smith in its first and its list used to deem parents domestic terrorists. Those parents are now being targeted by Merrick Garland's FBI because they can't take the public showing up and wanting to take their schools back that Terry McAuliffe says you shouldn't be allowed to take back for your children. But if someone were would have sat and listened for 30 seconds to what Scott had to say, they would have been mortified and heartbroken, his attorney said. So Luke Rosiak actually published a story in the Daily Wire, and it's behind a paywall, so I'll read some of it to you because I'm a Daily Wire subscriber. I'm one of those guys. Um, On June 22nd, Scott Smith was arrested at Loudoun County School Board meeting, a meeting that was ultimately deemed an unlawful assembly by many attendees vocally opposed to a policy on transgender students. What people did not know is that weeks prior on May 28th, Smith said a boy allegedly wearing a skirt entered a girl's bathroom at a nearby Stonebridge High School where he allegedly assaulted Smith, uh, Smith's ninth grade daughter. Juvenile records are released, but Smith's attorney, Elizabeth Lancaster, told the Daily Wire that the boy was charged with two counts of forcible sodomy, one count of anal sodomy, and one count of forcible fellatio, related to an incident that day at the school. As a result of the viral video showing his arrest, Smith became the poster child of what the National School Board Association has since suggested could be a form of domestic terrorism, a white blue-collar male who showed up to a school to an obscure public school board meeting to harass his public servants. (laughs) Unbelievable. It's amazing. That's why people are seeing the uptick in school board attendees, uh, school board meeting attendees by parents that are outraged. And now three teachers in Loudoun County are going to court simply because they don't want to use trans or non-binary students' pronouns. This is from the ACLU of Virginia. We and partners filed an amicus brief to tell the court Refusing to use a student's pronouns because of who they are is discrimination. Yeah, complete discrimination there, guys. Um, Those people using those pronouns are now assaulting other people's daughters in bathrooms, and the school board is covering that up. Unbelievable. So here's an even better aspect to the story. Listen to this. (laughs) Loudoun County prosecutor, this is from Molly Hemingway, Loudoun County prosecutor who sought to jail a father allegedly raped at school, has ties to George Soros and Terry McAuliffe. Imagine that. George Soros fundraising. That was his effort. That's why we saw the lockdowns as hard as they did in blue states. That's why we saw the Black Lives Matter and Antifa rioters go free or prisoners were getting let out at the beginning of the coronavirus because these are all people that were hired by George Soros and are running in attorney general's races across the country, in district attorney races. That's why getting Jason Mirez is a big deal. That's why I'm focusing on him and his run against Mark Herring on the podcast today. Loudoun County prosecutor who sought to jail father of girl allegedly raped at a school in Northern Virginia has ties to George Soros and Terry McAuliffe. (laughs) Unbelievable. So... Of course, it's time for us to jump in the mix on this whole thing. And that is also why you had Glenn Youngkin get up there 
and say this about George Soros and Terry McAuliffe. The blame for these wrongs and the present chaos in our schools lays squarely, squarely at the feet of 40-year politician Terry McAuliffe. Just guys, square at Terry McAuliffe's feet, but also at George Soros-backed allies. These allies that are in the left, liberal, progressive movement, they've inserted political operatives into our school system disguised as school boards. That's right. Youngkin's 100% correct. (laughs) Terry McAuliffe and George Soros are coming in to infect the race. And like we said earlier in the program, all the money coming from outside of the state is going to McAuliffe. All the money inside is going to Youngkin. Why is that? So they're trying to say, well, Yunkin might flip and, and uh, basically get rid of abortion in Virginia and get rid of, rid of women's rights. And again, another attempt at Project Veritas in Yunkin with undercover cameras. Um, listen to what he had to say and listen to the reaction. I'm going to be really honest with you. The short answer is, in this campaign, I can. When I'm governor and I have a majority in the House, we can start going on offense. But as a campaign topic, sadly, that in fact won't win my independent votes that I have to get. Juanita, that's the quiet part. Oopsie out loud. So is the risk here that people think this guy's moderate, but then he's like, poof, I want to do a Texas on abortion. That's exactly right, Joy. And I think in the primary, people got a taste of that if if they were paying attention to what he was saying there, because he did not mince words in the primary on abortion. He didn't mince words on the 2020 election results in the in the primary amongst GOP candidates because he knew he had to appeal to the GOP base who are primary voters. But like he said, it's going to be a bait and switch. As soon as he gets those independent votes, which polling shows are skewing more Republican in this election cycle, then he's going to flip the script. And he's going to come after not only women's rights, but he's also going to make sure that any lies that Trump says are going to be amplified. He's going to come after anything else in terms of old Republican goodies like tax cuts um, and really lifting up on any type of crime language. And so expect a bait and switch from him full speed, because what he's doing right now, I think Republicans are picking up on it and celebrating it because they're like, oh, he's expanding our tent. He's expanding Mm. voters that we can appeal to after doing what he needed to do to win the GOP primary. He flipped and he'll flip again if he wins the governorship. See, my takeaway is he he campaigned heavily in the primaries against abortion. And now he's saying he's going to run as a candidate on certain issues. And, you know, if he happens to get the House, they happen to win the majority, then we're going to take things back. I'm all for that. The left does that to us all damn day. (laughs) I mean, all day long. And we don't ever operate in that fashion. We sit there and try to uh, take the pragmatic approach and do both sides of the fence, and then we end up getting screwed in the long run. But Terry McAuliffe, if, if he gets in, he's going to reinstate critical race theory, which he says he is against, right? <laughs> well, check this out. Christopher Rufo, Mr critical race theory expert and has uncovered it in all facets of corporate world, uh, governance, teachers, I mean, across the board. Terry McAuliffe claims that critical race theory has, quote, never been taught in Virginia schools, but in 2015, 
he was when he was last governor, his Department of Education instructed public schools to embrace critical race theory in order to re-engineer attitudes and belief systems. He's got a PowerPoint. I mean, it says uh, the first PowerPoint slide says legal implications of school discipline, street cred, culturally responsive and equitable discipline, critical, uh, culturally re- responsive alternatives, which include incorporate critical race theory. Um, also culturally, um, Oh, embrace critical race theory, engage in race conscience teaching and learning, facilitate sustained understandings of cultural mismatches, engineer culturally affirming physical and emotional classroom climates, increase student awareness of high frequency infractions. I, I mean, it's right there. Re-engineer attitudes and belief systems for a culturally responsive strategy. That's what Terry McAuliffe was doing back in 2015. You know, so now he's flailing around. He's got Stacey Abrams coming in. Uh, He's also got Taylor Swift. Virginia gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe is tugging on the heartstrings of Taylor Swift fans and with their new digital ads highlighting rival Glenn Young's bad blood with the music star. Unbelievable, this hack. And he's still losing. I mean, he's still down a couple points. It's a, it's a tight race. I'm not going to lie, but he's not making the headway he thinks. And it's getting to him. Listen to him being interviewed. He doesn't get the questions that he wants. And then he gets pissed and storms off. Virginia, he says election integrity is the number one issue. No, it isn't. Healthcare, COVID, education. And finally. Okay. All right, we're over. That's okay. it. That's Thank it. You. Hey, I gave you extra time. Come on, man. You should have asked better questions early on. And he did. Yeah, he did ask the right questions. But Terry McAuliffe is panicking. He's starting to fall apart. This is actually from Guy Benson from Town Hall Analysis. Is Terry McAuliffe panicking? A few caveats to begin. First, beware of confirmation bias. It may look to Republicans like Terry McAuliffe and the Democrats are panicking about the Virginia gubernatorial race, and he is a gubernatorial candidate. You should see him dancing to, this is our fight song, and he's, they're giving high fives, and they just look like goofy old boomers. Anyways, because Republicans want to believe that's what's happening, selective poll watching and large energetic rallies can sometimes convince partisans of momentum that may or may not materialize. Watching Youngkin's apparently strong final push I'm having Romney 2012 flashbacks. I'm not sure if that's because they're not they're apt or because that race was scarring. Second, recall that even with genuine momentum in a close-to-close toss-up race, Virginia remains Democrats to lose. Donald Trump lost the state by 10 points just one year ago, which is why McAuliffe won't stop talking about him. It's obnoxious, obsessive, and seemingly weak, but Team Terry clearly believes nationalizing the race and relentlessly lying uh, and tying Glenn, Glenn Youngkin to the 45th president is a political imperative. What may look like desperation might, in fact, merely be Im- empirical correct messaging in a blue-tinted state. On the other hand, the fact that McAuliffe felt compelled to release an ad insisting that Youngkin had taken him out of context or whatever on education, it's not unreasonable to conclude that the Dems would be more or less uh, ignoring an attack line that wasn't working. It's also not unreasonable to conclude that the Dems rushing out 
a highly defensive television ad which amplifies Youngkin's central closing theme in the late stages of the campaign likely means that the attack line is really starting to sting. Public polls have generally given McAuliffe a three to five point lead in recent weeks, consistent with a higher contrast in a fundamentally democratic state. But could McAuliffe's internals be showing a reality closer to the GOP numbers we analyzed last week, or at least a pure jump? (laughs) As the last two public polls have reflected, to their credit, Youngkin's campaign was fully prepared to refute McAuliffe's new gripe about being mischaracterized. And uh, that was sound advice. McAuliffe said uh, what he said on the debate stage and then doubled and tripled down for weeks. And now all of a sudden he wants Virginians, suburban whites, uh, suburban parents in particular, to believe that his own words were some smear campaign cooked up by Yunkin. Ridiculous. McAuliffe has also made the interesting choice to further attack parents over critical race theory, accusing people concerned over or even offended by uh, radicalized public schools of engaged in uh, engaging in racist dog whistles. The smear actually validates the underlining concern in some ways, and it deliberately ignores what's actually happening in schools. Yes, including in Virginia, Youngkin has a pretty good start to the dog whistle line, too. They asked uh, Yunkin about his uh, his reaction to Terry McAuliffe calling critical racist theory or critical race theory, as they like to call it, a racist dog whistle. Quote, I'm not going to be lectured by a guy on race who literally called for Governor Northam's resignation for blackface and then turned around and accepted his endorsement and campaigns with him. (laughs) Go ahead, Yunkin, you're right. Sharp. It would also be malpractice not to take the lead on this shocking and horrific story first reported by the Daily Wire, which was the story we were talking about with Luke Rosiak and uh, Loudoun County's school board. Yunkin and his ticket certainly do appear to be finishing strong, and McAuliffe isn't exactly acting like a confident candidate. Now, that's the thing that, again, I hearken back to the last-minute bump and uh, gains that Ken Cuccinelli had on McAuliffe the first time around. McAuliffe squeaked that victory out. And the GOP, like we talked about earlier, did not support financially Ken Cuccinelli whatsoever because Ken Cuccinelli was too much of an ideologue and not rhino enough. Well, think about it. Everybody keeps saying, well, this is going to be some bellwether thing if, if Virginia goes red again. Virginia has been red for a while. It just went blue recently. I mean, I've lived here for 30 plus years, 40 plus, actually. Think of this. I mean, we had G- Jim Gilmore. We had George Allen. Yeah, we had Douglas Wilder. But at the same time, we didn't recently, we had Bob McDonald. I mean, we didn't recently become a Democrat state because we also had a Republican state legislature. (laughs) We clinched that for years. We didn't start becoming a blue state until the Obama administration because what happened? They expanded the government and the government needed places to live. Northern Virginia was better than going into Maryland and that's where everybody that had the money in government went to. They didn't want to live in, you know, uh, Prince George County. They wanted to live in Fairfax and Alexandria and Arlington. So their politics came right along with it. And Northern Virginia, population-wise, is enough to sway the entire state. And so you get a blue state. But we're, if it goes red again, it's not like it's some earth-shattering thing, but it is really telling that Terry McAuliffe 
is being beaten on essentially what is a re-election. And I think that is the mandate that we're that we're talking about, that we're looking at, is that yeah, we can have a Republican governor and we can turn around and have a Democrat governor. That's Virginia right now. We're still purplish. But the fact that the incumbent, even though you can't have consecutive terms, he had to bow out and Northam blackface came in and ran and won. And then now, you know, we've got this issue with McAuliffe running again. So if he gets beat, that's the mandate. And that is going to be on critical race theory because that's what's propelling Glenn Youngkin. He's no Ed Gillespie. Uh, he's kind of moving towards a Ken Cuccinelli. I still don't know enough about the uh, total package of, uh, of Glenn Youngkin to know where he stands on every single issue, but he sounds better than some of the last candidates we've had for governor. And, uh, you know, my favorite was Ken Cuccinelli and they edged him out, but he's got some energy behind him. And I see it when I'm driving around in the Commonwealth, I see signs everywhere for Youngkin. I barely see signs for McAuliffe. And if I do, it's in the most, uh, Democrat blue districts that don't, he doesn't even really need to campaign in because they're just going to show up and vote that way mindlessly. So that's my take on what's going on right now. We'll do more as we get closer to November 2nd. I hope you're enjoying the Six Semper Tyrannus podcast. I'm Adrian Slade. Don't forget to go subscribe to the podcast because the next episode and from here on out will only be hosted on that platform. Um, I'm doing some cross promotion with my other show to uh, introduce this to other listeners. But at a certain point, it's got to take a life of its own and it's going to need your support. So if you're interested in supporting, all you got to do is just go to the podcast platform of your choice and follow it, subscribe to it. It's free. And then uh, when the episodes come out, you'll get to hear it. Until next time, six separate Tyrannus. Good night, Steve Cannon, wherever wherever you are. are. Onion, now you go home.